When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Recording episode 534, 535, I'm already butchering it. And because we're not allowed to talk about COVID, as I was just telling Dr. Hatfield, that's exactly what we're going to do. Because otherwise, I would be a fraud for sitting in front of this flag. So I don't care how many times YouTube will suspend me. We're going to keep doing it, whether it's Dr. Malone, Dr. McCullough, or Dr. Hatfield. So talking about COVID, and also we're going to do another episode about your book, Three Seconds Until Midnight, which you wrote two years before uh, the outbreak of the China virus in Wuhan, China published two months before and uh a little prophetic but dr hatfield please introduce yourself to all the new listeners hi good evening i'm dr steve hatfield um i spent the last five years researching the national pandemic plan i'm associated with a university as an adjunct professor in two departments um background three master's degrees uh, physician, medical specialty uh, in hematology, board eligible. And uh, I've written, I think, over 20 research papers. Um, my interest in the pandemic response occurred uh, after the 2014-15 uh, Ebola uh, pandemic where I saw the complete dysfunction of the uh, of the U.S. response to this pathogen. After spending arguably $120 billion on biological defense, uh, it's admitted that it's about $70 billion, but you're not including all the uh, Black budgets. contractors and, and, and the military. So it was a pathetic response. You couldn't handle 12 Ebola patients after spending all that money. And I had followed this completely through. I, I used to work for Science Applications International okay. Corporation, SAIC, mm -hmm. uh, with uh, one of my co-authors, Robert Coulihan, in the Division of Readiness and Response. And uh, we were just aghast at this. So I went back to see what is the problem? We all had all assumed it would be a respiratory RNA virus, uh, but we thought it would probably be uh, one of the, the uh, avian influenza viruses. Although we had all identified in 2014 the possibility it could be a coronavirus. Mm -hmm. uh, when the Chinese isolated the SHO14 strain, um, that could jump directly from the bat into human cells and tissue culture with uh, the suspicion that it had killed three miners uh, in one of the caves in southern China. Uh, this became a thing of concern, but Peter Daszak and others were working on the coronaviruses, so we kind of left that alone. So um, I worked at Fort Detrick for two years okay. under a National Research Council fellowship uh, where I worked on the pathogenesis of Ebola and Marburg mm -hmm. uh, viruses, as well as monkeypox. So uh, 
that's sort of my background. I've speaking of Marburg, I've had on Dr. Ken Alabeck, the first deputy oh, director. Oh, a friend of mine. Oh yeah, yeah, he's he's yeah. been on here several times since then. He's doing autism research now. So we did one episode about biopreparat, and now we're doing a bunch of uh, autism research. He's a Can you put us in contact again? Because I've la- I, last I heard, he was running a pharmaceutical company in Kazakhstan. No, 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 no. He's in no, he's in the U.S. He works for uh, I think he owns or works for Locust Fermentations. It's some I don't know what it is, but uh, I think they just do like bio applications. But uh, He's a smart guy, by He's the way, and, a, and a, to me, an American patriot for Absolutely. risking what he did. Yeah, defecting to the U.S. in 92. Yeah. His, his daughter has autism, and that's become his life. Like uh, The little new, one? Yes, the latest one? I, I believe. You know, I believe. And uh, I remember when she was – I met her Okay. Okay. she was a toddler. Yeah, we've done – yeah, everyone can see we've done several episodes now where he has p- his patients call in from Russia – or from Eastern yeah. Europe, and it's yeah. a beautiful thing. I'll definitely put you in touch. Um, for everybody listening, you can also find out more about Dr. Hatfield at Dr. Stephen Hatfield with a V and H-A-T-F-I-L, one L, correct? Yeah. Dot com. No, two L's. Uh, two L's. Well, okay, I'm a moron. There we go. Thank you. I, no, I used to, it used to be Hatfield, like the Hatfields and McCoys, <laughs> but the Illinois branch were like illiterate. And no, I'm serious. Not you must always you. keep in mind I'm okay, from the illiterate said, side. Let's set that part out, please. <laughs> we don't want to piss off the state of Illinois. Hey, man, it's. it's oh, we do want to piss off the yeah, state no, of Illinois. Yeah, no, let it fly. Let it fly. Democrat. Hey, man, I'm, 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 I'm from. I'm, <laughs> hey, man, I lived, I'm from northern New Hampshire and I lived in Valdosta, Georgia. I know all about the. There uh, you back, go. Yeah, I know all about the backwood time capsules from 1860. Exactly, sir. <laughs> um, but. And and thank you for that uh, that resume because as uh, as I say when I have on you know it's one thing it's uh, it's one thing if I sit here and yell about COVID this COVID that I'm not a physician I'm not an epidemiologist and as the podcast yeah. has gotten bigger God bless I've been able to get in touch with bigger and bigger guests and when I want to have people on to talk about Delta Force I have on guys from Delta Force when I want to talk exactly. about NASA I have on Charlie Duke who walked on the moon and as I talk about COVID, well, why not go to the source, Dr. Robert Malone, Dr. Peter McCullough, yourself? And yeah. so I try to do that more and because I don't want people to attack the argument on the basis of, well, you're not a doctor. And there might be an actual argument in there. So instead, I have on voices such as yourself to discuss this, and then people have to approach it on the actual merit of the argument. So... Right. I, I sent you a bunch of questions beforehand, but if if you if you just want to kind of go off the top of your head, just I don't know more free flow. No, no, yeah. let's 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 yeah. answer some questions. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Because if you have concern, others have concern. Yeah. So I I spent the last year, twenty twenty, in the White House with Peter Navarro. Okay. As his outside medical advisor. Virtually every day in there, there were problems, like critical problems, because the local authorities, which in the national pandemic plan, were required to do certain things with regards to medical surge capability. And we all knew that something was coming. Mm-hmm. The, in 1995, something seemed to happen globally and we started to see all these new pathogens appear that uh, we science had never seen before. We didn't know these pathogens could infect man. We, 
or it was a reemergence of, of Marburg, Ebola, the things that we did know, but at an increasing frequency. And we all thought perhaps we're imagining this and pioneers in this at the Center for Disease Control, such as Dr. C.J. Peters, uh, a very famous virus hunter. And he had actually tried to turn CDC's attention to what we call these emerging infectious diseases successfully. And then a number of summary papers appeared over the next few years showing conclusively that, no, we weren't imagining that there was an increased frequency, it's real. And what's happening is, I, I believe, our population passed some critical global point. Yeah. And now humans are coming in contact with viruses that used to be hidden in deep forests or jungles. And those ecosystems are under severe threat and you're losing biodiversity. Well, the viruses are gonna just jump simply to other species, especially the RNA virus of which COVID-19 virus is one of those. So that virus isn't going to go extinct, it's gonna find a new host. Mm -hmm. However poorly it replicates and transmits in that host, because every time it replicates, it makes a bit of a mistake. The natural evolution of it is it's like throwing the dice. Dr. Malone likes to talk about throwing the dice. Well, eventually it's going to hit. I call it pulling the handle on the slot machine. The triple sevens. <clears throat> if you pull enough times, it may be three million times, but you are going to hit a jackpot. And an RNA virus only needs one jackpot to, to jump species. So if we see a virus, we go into, let's say, Borneo, which we, we have a program planning to do this, and we see a vi the same virus in a rodent and a bat. Well, it's jumped from most probably the bat into the rodent, and it's ready to jump into the human. This is called viral forecasting. Okay. And uh, Dr. Wolf, I think out of Harvard, initialized this concept. And it appears to be true. The, all a virus wants to do is replicate. And once it's successful in one species, it wants to replicate into more different species. It's like an adult So man. this is what we're up against as, as a human race. And our population, we've now, we're encroaching on these natural areas. Plus we're living at a population density that is completely unnatural. We, no other large mammal has ever achieved population densities that we have on this planet as a, as a single species. The rodents do, but there's hundreds of different rodents. Yeah. Uh, the bats have, but they're probably the most biodiverse species on our planet. So this all comes with a cost. And if you're going to live under high density and, you know, some of the slums of India, you can't, you can't socially distance. Mm -hmm. It's impossible. Yeah. Then public health needs to be given a forefront, just as important as sewage or power or communications for a large metropolitan area. Public health needs to be one of the top requirements. And for the last 30 years, 
we've slandered and defunded this. We've dumbed down the curricula for MBA, uh, for masters in public health in our universities. And we've gotten away from infectious disease. This needs to be corrected. All that allows us to live under population densities like New York City is public health. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, um, I'm not a, I'm not a doctor. I do have a biology degree. And the thing that kind of, I think my favorite course, I love Dokem, but my favorite course was my last semester of college. I took cellular biology, just learning about the molecular mechanisms of everything we've been studying semesters beforehand. And to me, it was just the most beautiful. It was the final piece. And what kind of blew my mind, and I felt silly for never really approaching that or confronting that thought, was the literature of, of reading, you're in physiology or you're in anatomy or, or, or chemistry, it's always, and then the body does this. And if you eat sugar, the islet of Langerhans releases this. And if you do this and you don't really think about it, you kind of think of more of like what I call my mom, my mom picks up the phone. But when you, hopefully, but when you went into molecular biology, I had this, I mean, again, simpleton realization of like, there wasn't this conscious thing of where the brain is like, oh, it's time to release, you know, glucose. It's, yeah. it's this insanely complex domino Rube Goldberg. The whole thing is just this beyond comprehension, but really it's just action reaction and it's all dominoes and yes. Lego pieces. Yeah. It kind of feels like an mind boggles. Yes. And you can only totally imagine, boggles. you can yeah. only imagine that does this go out to a, a global or even the biosphere are there feedback systems that maybe we don't fully understand yet but like you mm -hmm. said we reach this density where it's like i mean a density of a forest right let it grow let it grow let it grow oh. but you have all that underbrush and all these trees touching each other well now all it takes is one lightning strike and that density which is quote unquote unnatural boom, it's gone and it's sort of knocked As out california yes yes so it seems like it's almost some sort of feedback, and and I don't mean this in some new no, age. No, that's a very yeah. that is a very good analogy I've never heard before. But, Quite right. Doesn't it feel like Quite right? Not like a new age. The Earth is speaking to us. No, I mean, truly, it just seems no. like there's a biodiversity where we're all together. Everything is interconnected. Yeah. Do you know when ciprofloxin came out, the antibiotic? Okay. I was in Africa practicing medicine. And I've, I've spent about 20 years in Africa. Okay. Um, within 10 years, the antibiotic resistance of the bacteria to ciprofloxin had spread around the world. Jeez. If you're a microbe, because you can, you can exchange little bits of DNA, even if you don't like that microbe over there. Yeah. If an antibiotic is trying to kill you, you'll release these plasmids. Mm -hmm. And the other bacteria will take it up and they'll gain resistance. Horizontal. Ten years. Actually. Yes, sir. Ten years is all it took. And this happened because the FDA and, and USDA allowed ciprofloxin to be put into the animal feed commercially. That's what caused worldwide resistance to ciprofloxin. When it first came out, I had, a, I had an elderly lady with uh, established lobar pneumonia, extremely high fever. I think she was at 82, 83, a dear old lady. And uh, this, is, this 
this could be a killer in, in, in that age group. Admitted her to hospital, we put her on ciprofloxacin. By the next morning, it really was a miracle drug. Her temperature had dropped, you know, appetite was coming back, and we got her out of there and finished her therapy at home. Now, you can dump in a lot of ciprofloxacin and, and you're battling to have it to work yeah. in, in some patients. All because we forgot. If you're a microbe, a bacteria, maybe not a virus, but a bacteria, you're globally interconnected to the entire bacterial genome. This is how we think complex life developed 3.5 billion years ago on our planet. It was horizontal gene transfer. And we have cases today. There's a snail in Asia that actually has chloroplasts. Oh. It's green. <laughs> so if it gets low on its snail-like diet of organic matter, it goes out in the sun and uh, generates sugar from photosynthesis these chloroplasts have become symbiotic with a snail and it's actually kind of green. How is that yeah. not like the forefront of all oh. medical technology? Shouldn't we be doing that? Or shouldn't we be injecting it into ourselves? Human cells will take up chloroplasts. The... People have tried this stuff. Okay. You know, I mean, everyone screams yeah. so they quit. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I mean, you feel like And I don't want to be green. Yeah. I mean, I don't care if I don't have to buy groceries. Yeah, that's a thought. It's the ultimate. Hey, this is the ultimate going green. But but life, life, and viruses have been instrumental um, in the fossil record of complex life development. The cyanobacteria, the stuff. I'm in Florida, and uh, when these things, these algae blooms, they call it. Yeah. These are cyanobacteria. This is the green pond scum if you don't aerate your pond. This is probably the most primitive advanced biochemical life form on the planet. We've got these microbial mats from like 3.2 billion years ago that have been found. And this is where all the advanced biochemistry was developed. And um, these things are still with us today. So. Now, kind of another weird analogy <clears throat> with everything we're saying there, there there's like a fundamental assumption in the same way that like you know it's like you you could understand physics you could un, you know maybe some like wright brothers okay we got flight maybe get some yeah. Werner von braun get some rocket fuel the whole thing yeah. could be all that could be understood perfectly but if yeah. the assumption is that the world is flat as opposed to round you know your your equations might be right but you're not going to know what to reach your, you know, your orbital velocity. So there's like a base assumption that if that's wrong, even if everything else is right, the end is, is going to be wrong. I, I, I agree with you. There, there are, even if we don't know the rules and we don't know a lot of the rules in the universe, but things appear to, to follow basic understood mm -hmm. physics and chemistry mm -hmm. and that includes biology absolutely so what i was getting to is for a base assumption you uh, uh an expert in this 
does the whole thing get thrown for a loop if everything we're discussing is from a natural virus or from a human engineered, you know, from a lab virus? Does that affect the end result or are we still dealing with the same set of, you know, subsequent, I guess, equations? Well, Mother Nature can come up with some pretty nasty stuff. Sure. Sure. And there's really nasty stuff still out there, like him, simian hemorrhagic fever mm -hmm. that hasn't jumped into humans yet. And I mean, we hope it doesn't because in monkeys, it's like 98%, 99% mortality. Um, so with this, kind of looking at a bigger picture again, and I've, I've had on Dr. McCullough, they've talked about early treatment, Dr. Mobin Saeed, yeah. about ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine yeah. and all yeah. the nutraceuticals, and that's all fascinating, and we've done whole episodes on that. For me, I'm more inclined to try to zoom out even more and be like, what's the even bigger picture is, why are all those things being suppressed? It's To me, that's the eeriest thing. Is is it is it simply the old, the holdest thing in the book? Just follow the money. People are making money off the vaccines. If it was truly about saving everyone's life, wouldn't we be pulling out every tool in the toolbox? We asked ourselves the same questions with respect to the use of hydroxychloroquine from COVID. The evidence now. It's over 200 published papers, peer-reviewed, uh, clinical trials, observational trials, this type of thing. Uh, the evidence is overwhelming that hydroxychloroquine works. Yet there was a, there, there's no other way to look at it. There was a intentional, intentional effort to suppress the effects of hydroxychloroquine, which by the way, costs 60 cents a tablet and you need 11 tablets. If we can get that into you at the first onset of symptoms within about the next uh, four five, six days, majority of patients don't need to go to hospital. We had this drug, a gift from nature that was given to us. Uh, the role of chloroquine and, and hydroxychloroquine, which, by the way, is a separate drug, safer, less toxic. Okay. We had known this in 2005. The CDC scientists, some of the old virus hunters were part of the team that were looking at FDA-approved drugs that would have antiviral capability against the original SARS virus. And they found in tissue culture a high efficacy and they had determined the mechanism of its action. And it changes the cells in your body. See, we call it the seed and the soil. For every pathogen, which is the seed, it has to have a suitable soil or the infection doesn't occur. The plant doesn't grow. Hydroxychloroquine changes the soil, which is your body, and makes it inhospitable for the virus. So it's not actually against the virus. It's not something the virus can readily develop a resistance to, like remdesivir or some single-use drug. 
it changes your own body. And once you're infected, the virus is in there. It doesn't have time to mutate away from this. And it's brought under control. So instead of being infectious for two weeks, you're infectious for maybe four days. And by using this in an outpatient format, you stop transmission. And this has been proven in numerous countries that have adopted this drug. Pete Navarro has a manuscript that is ready to be published and he'll be coming out with this. It's pretty long, it's 48 pages. I, I'm not sure where he's gonna publish to that, but it gives you the whole story on this. And I've written short things on drstephenhadfield.com outlining the paper and where we went wrong in the national pandemic plan. And I'm sorry, but there's no other way to look at it, but it was a concerted effort by a small number of people in the government, um, full-time people, not political appointees, that, uh, that sabotaged the use of this drug. There's no other way to look at it. And uh, we're talking Janet Woodcock, who was head of drug safety at the FDA. She then eventually moved up to FDA commissioner, temporary. And um, Rick Bright, the whistleblower, and uh, Anthony Fauci, MD. So we've tried to outline this in a very clear fashion, exactly what happened. We didn't know what had happened until Rick Bright filed his whistleblower complaint. And on page 43, you can call this up on the internet, and he states that he intentionally sabotaged it uh, because he thought it was a dangerous drug. Well, Rick Bright is an immunologist. He's not a physician. He knows little about pathology. Um, and he was pressured by Janet Woodcock to change the authorization of hydroxychloroquine from an investigational new drug status, which means although it was an FDA approved drug, uh, we had gotten hydroxychloroquine from overseas. It had been tested and uh, the supplier didn't want it sold on the market for profit. You know what I'm trying to say? Mm -hmm. Didn't want people making money because they had donated this. Mm -hmm. So it required an investigation on new drug status, although doctors are still free to prescribe it off-label. And um, Rick Bright had received an order from the president, Secretary Azar, who was head of the COVID-19 task force and head of Health and Human Services, Rick Bright's top chain of command, and Dr. Robert Cadlick, the assistant secretary for uh, ASPR, Pandemic Readiness and Response, to work with the FDA to get an investigational new drug status for hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine. What he did, and Janet Woodcock phoned him the next day after receiving the order and told him, oh no, this is a dangerous drug. You know, uh, this can only be given in hospital. And uh, what you need is an emergency use authorization that would sort of limit the drug to hospitalized patients. 
Well, let's look at it this way. When your stove catches fire, you don't wait for the fire department to arrive and the house to burn down. You throw water on the thing or put a fire extinguisher, yeah. right? You put the fire out yourself. You throw a blanket over it, something. Yeah. And you catch it early. What the EUA did was ensure that the majority of patients, the house was already on fire. Now, COVID-19 is a two-step, it's actually more, but we'll simplify it. It's a two-step disease process. You have the initial upper respiratory tract infection. You feel miserable. It's like the worst cold you've ever had. And a certain percentage of patients with this, especially if you have what we call comorbidities like diabetes, you're overweight, you have high blood pressure, you're over 50, you have chronic pulmonary disease, you have chronic heart disease, they progress on into a more serious second phase. And now the virus is actually in the lung tissue. And that spins up a whole series of pathological processes, abnormal clotting, cytokine storm, kidney damage, blood vessel damage. And, and you just, we call it circling the drain. You're, you're ready to go down the drain. Yeah. And this is where our deaths came from. If you could treat this early, and the evidence is completely overwhelming because the research still continued, although they, with um, the FDA eventually got rid of hydroxychloroquine by withdrawing the EUA. Doesn't take away the fact it works. And the doctors have still been using it in the countries that used it early on in the pandemic like India and Brazil kept those areas under control without overloading their hospitals. Now they stopped using it eventually and everything came back, but the drug works without any equivocation. There's an, an analogy I've used on here several times and it's with some I guess, uh, conspiracies or coordinated movements, the truth actually can be suppressed forever, you know? If, yeah. if only two guys know who whacked JFK and they're both gone and it wasn't written on paper, then it's actually gone. But yeah. something like the moon, eventually, and I've had on a guy that walked on the moon, as I always say, yeah. eventually yeah. we can put up a satellite or send up a rocket ship and be like, hey, there's the rovers, they're there. Yeah. Eventually, just like, you know, does the earth revolve around the sun or not? eventually the truth breaks through like you can only plug up the dam in so many ways before it just rips through yeah it feels well, like that's what's coming i kind of kept very quiet about all this until i saw the players trying to rewrite history and no no we're not going to stand for that and i've seen good men good doctors like Pete McCulloch being sued by his own university for telling the truth to shut him up. Yeah, Baylor, yeah. And uh, I expect my own thing to happen. Somebody's going to come down on me because I'm talking out. I don't care. The truth is the truth, and what happened is what happened. Unfortunately, other countries followed the United States. India was doing brilliantly 
at keeping their COVID. They've got 3.2 billion people, by the way, and their COVID death rates were a quarter of the United States throughout this pandemic until their president blocked hydroxychloroquine against the cries and pleas of the Indian Council for Medical Research, the doctors. He banned it. And then India had its 9-11 moment. Mm -hmm. So, no, there's no rewriting history here. We didn't know what had happened until Rick Bright wrote his whistleblower complaint. And your listeners can call it up and read it for themselves on page 43, what happened to the national pandemic plan. It was always gained around early use drug treatment as outpatients, keeping the patients out of the hospital because we didn't have enough ventilators, we didn't have enough beds. And the local authorities, like in New York City, and Governor Cuomo, Cuomo I have no idea and de Blasio, Brother Bill, had done nothing to prepare the city. And they were caught flat-footed and then tried to blame it on the government. It's our own failures. So. It seems like it's all, I mean, it gets to a point where you have to be a conspiracy theorist to not believe it. When, when you look at, was it Moderna? Didn't their market cap double since the vaccine came out? That's growth oh. that Steve Jobs can't dream of. Yeah. I mean. All of them. All of them, yeah, but I think Moderna's was the was the greatest single percentage. I mean, it actually the, don't even take my word for it. You can go to Yahoo Finance and now, just look at the market a, cap. This is a company that really, to my understanding, had never successfully produced a vaccine ever. Yeah, and it was Dr. Fauci's favorite. He had elevated above the others to get it into clinical trials. Dr. Malone, who I'm sure you're aware of, he came on here, episode four ninety five. <laughs> the father of the mRNA vaccines yep. is screaming, get this thing off the market. It's killing people. I have to agree with him. Never should have been licensed. It's when, when, when operation warp speed started, there was an understanding that there was going to be difficulty with a vaccine sure. because we had the monkey trials. And we saw, you know, the monkeys would be protected, but when you gave them live virus, you had an overwhelming, it's called antibody-dependent enhancement. And you got the disease worse than if you hadn't been vaccinated. I'm sorry, that's the data in the monkeys. What we're seeing now, and they're lying to you, preponderance of people that are really getting hurt badly are the ones that are fully vaccinated. And we have to consider this is what we expected to see with this phenomenon of ADE, antibody-dependent enhancement. This shouldn't be happening. The most vaccinated countries in the world are the ones showing the big surge in cases and hospitalizations. Now, on the 1st of May, the FDA stopped and CDC stopped counting what we call vaccine breakthroughs, people that have been fully vaccinated that caught it anyway. This vaccine was developed against a virus that existed a year and a half ago. Yeah. The virus has mutated beyond that by now. 
So it's a leaky vaccine. And this is kind of a prerequisite for antibody-dependent enhancement. We've been seeing this in the last 10 years. It was being recognized in the influenza vaccines that older people that have, that have, that have received the flu vaccine, and you know we're only accurate with that thing about less than 50% of the time. So you, you got a uh, half-baked vaccine put into you. You got a little bit of protection. And then you catch the real pathogen and you get a worse disease. And this could be what we're seeing. But we don't know because unless you go to hospital and die, it's not being counted. They specifically put out, we're no longer going to count vaccine breakthroughs. And then Fauci says, oh, you have to wear a mask. Yeah, everybody's got to wear a mask again. Why? Because you're fully vaccinated. You catch the new COVID, the Delta. The amount of virus in your upper airway is the same as if you're unvaccinated and catch the virus. The vaccines aren't working, but we don't want to say that. Okay. Today, the FDA moved to, okay, the Pfizer, Moderna booster shots. Oh, great. Now, this may even make it worse. Of course it is. This is insanity. This isn't science. Fauci has never followed the science from day one. In the White House in the early days, there were indications and there were good studies. They were observational, which Fauci wouldn't accept because, you know, they were, uh, they were uh, not to his gold standard. And there's been Cochrane reports and other things stating these randomized controlled clinical trials are not applicable in a pandemic. Observational studies, if the benefit of the drug that you're giving is overwhelming with modern statistics, it's just as good as a randomized clinical trial. Dr. Fauci is in error. He's living in the past. The evidence is still overwhelming for hydroxychloroquine. It was given as a gift from God. And Fauci threw it in the trash can. Now, if you have an existing drug that's effective and safe, any vaccine has to go through the full 10-year process. Can't use EUA. Can't, no. That's, that, so... There's no conspiracy theory, yeah. but there's no co coincidences either. Yeah. I mean... Much, the Delta versus the Moderna effectiveness drops to 70%. The Pfizer drops to 54% effectiveness in preventing you. 54%, I get better odds tossing a coin if I have a cork in my hand. <laughs> okay? This is nonsense. Dr. Walensky, I'm sure she's a very competent and very nice individual. But she came from the vaccine industry. They brought her in to head the CDC. And she's stumbling over her feet every time the, the poor woman opens her mouth. And she has to retract her statements. I had the Lancet. Uh -huh. I mean, treasured for over a century. Yeah, the top tier. As you can trust it. Publishes false fabricated data. 
as does the New England Journal of Medicine. Every time a positive paper on hydroxychloroquine would undergo peer review and be published, here came a series of three all poor late phase studies stating that hydroxychloroquine doesn't work or they'd given toxic doses and actually killed the patients like they did in Brazil and unjustified doses given in the recovery trial in the United Kingdom. It's rubbish science, junk science. But that's what the mainstream media focused on. Rick Bright not only worked with Janet, Reno, or Janet Woodcock to get an emergency use authorization instead of an investigational new drug authorization, but he covertly went to the mainstream biased media and told them this was a terribly dangerous drug that the president was favoring. So the journalists rushed to preprint servers like MedRxiv. These papers aren't peer reviewed and there's a warning there stating these papers aren't peer reviewed. They could be faulty. Don't use them for any press things. They don't exist, but it's to get other doctors. You know, we're in a national crisis, okay? It was to get other doctors thinking and trying to get a grip of this thing and a jump ahead. And things like the Washington Post and CNN grabbed these things. And Fox News, Neil Cavuto, grabbed these non-peer-reviewed papers. Neil Cavuto screaming, don't take this drug if you go to hospital with COVID. It will kill you. It will kill you. Well, Dr. Cavuto doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. He's not a doctor. And it scared the doctors that were trying to use it off-label. It scared the recruitment for things like the Ford study in Detroit, doing very early use hydroxychloroquine. Our U.S. testing was up to shambles, thanks to the CDC. But doctors have been prescribing drugs based on clinical suspicion for years. If you come to see me with a head cold, am I going to take a nasal swab and send it off to see which one of 120 different viruses are causing your head cold? No. I'm going to examine your chest to make sure you don't have a secondary bacterial infection. I'm going to give you some patent medicines, like over-the-counter stuff. I'm going to tell you, go home, quarantine, keep away from your kids and your wife. Don't go into work. You'll get over this. And I may phone you once a day just to make sure you're not getting a secondary pneumonia. I don't wait for testing to give you a drug that I think will work. And this is what was happening. So the first peer-reviewed papers that came out we're all in late phase hospitalized patients. And of course, by the time you've got shortness of breath, you've missed the therapeutic window for hydroxychloroquine. We wrote memos to Dr. Hahn at the FDA. Early use, this has to be used early. You could see it in the published data. It was totally ignored. Hydroxychloroquine kept the majority of patients out of the hospital, so we didn't need the medical surge. We weren't running the risk of healthcare workers getting infected. Oh, by the way, we have no idea how many have died from COVID because they're not keeping an accurate assessment. 
uh, I think middle of 2020, it was over a thousand healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, this type of thing had died from getting a COVID infection. So, you know, I'm aghast. I'm just totally numb at what I have witnessed for the last year and a half and how you can take a well-formatted pandemic plan designed under the Bush administration and throw everything out the window. It simply follows Mike Tyson's famous comment. Everybody has a plan till you get punched in the face. And in spite of considered advice from numerous physicians and scientists and warnings, they thought, let's get the vaccine in and we can control this. Sticking a vaccine in the middle of an RNA virus epidemic, this isn't smallpox, okay? The virus will always be a step ahead of you. Yeah, it, I mean, emergency, again, talking as a 31-year-old with no experience in this, if it was smallpox or Ebola, like, I get the whole, hey, like, you might die if you take the vaccine, but you're most likely going to die if you catch this thing. I, right. I, I get that, right? It's it's the nuclear bomb option. Like, no, we don't want to vaporize women and children, but 80 million people have died in World War II. We're trying to wrap this thing up. No, right? I, I, know, I know what you're saying. Yeah. That's not what this is, and that's not to make light no. of those who have died, but I mean, no. 12,000, I mean, off the top of my head, 12,366 deaths on the VAERS system in the United States alone. That's not including the 1,272 miscarriages or the 12,000. No, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. Sorry to interrupt you. No. But studies have been done showing that VAERS is only picking up 1% to 10% of what's really happening out there. If you're going to push out an emergency use authorization experimental vaccine, you would think you would have a good adverse effects collection. FDA was working on one, but it wasn't ready yet. So you go back to VAERS. So uh, this is incompetence at the highest level. And I'm sure Dr. Hahn is an excellent physician. You know, he's got two medical specialties. He's He's got a brain. Yeah. But he didn't use it. Yeah. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, I know very, yeah, it's one to 10% of all cases. But when the number is so high at what it already is, to me, I yeah. just say, let's take the conservative. Let's just say it's accurate. It's that number alone is insane. In medicine, you always have to err on the side of caution. Mm -hmm. We've got a disease. It appeared out of bats. Whether it came out of a lab, whether it was a mistake, whether it's intentional, this is immaterial. Yeah. It's immaterial. You gotta deal with it now. It kills. There's no vaccine. And Fauci and Woodcock and Bright essentially blocked all outpatient treatment. I call it the Fauci Han doctrine. If you got COVID, we'll test you and you'll go home, you'll quarantine yourself until you're short of breath and have to come into the hospital, which time we'll give you hydroxychloroquine, 
but it won't work because you're too advanced in the infection. The fire is already burning down the house. Now that's insanity. And we swallowed it. We had no choice. And of course it scared all the doctors. They stopped writing it and now it's out of control. So we're at the mercy of the virus and its variants, which will continue. Forever. It's... We don't know, but it's not good. And $2 trillion, and now more with all this, this and that, everybody jumping in there, we're bankrupt. We are bankrupt. $2 trillion in Afghanistan... And now it's a it's a it's another Saigon scenario starting today. Yeah, we're sending over troops to get everybody the hell out of there. Yeah, in Afghanistan. Anyway, no, it's it's. I'm totally disillusioned, completely and totally disillusioned, over what I've seen over the last year and a half. You can't make this stuff up. It defies any sort of description unless. It was intentionally done. That's the only. That's the only sane conclusion one can come when to. When journals like the Lancet publish fraudulent data, that anyone with a brain picking up the article and reading it can see this is not right, and they published it anyway. When the French Minister of Health called Horton in, and the New England Journal of Medicine editor in and said, why are you publishing this rubbish that you have to retract? Well, the pharmaceutical companies were pressuring us. And you're not man enough to stand up for it and to stand up for your science and what is right and the scientific method. And you're still senior editor of The Lancet? It's outrageous. It's... To me, what I've seen in the last year is I always figured if you just pulled out big enough sources, eventually the truth would have to speak for itself. You know, if there's a new method on how to throw a football and everyone's like, ah, who said that? And then finally Tom Brady comes out and goes, hey, this is the way to throw a football. Then it kind of gains, you go, okay. When Malone has been unpersoned from LinkedIn, when, when he's been just hated on when McCullough, the most published cardiorenal physician in world history, is being sued and being slandered. And then when I have on Pete, or, uh, uh, Robert Malone, the overwhelming response is, and this is where I became disillusioned, I was like, well, now we have the guy. It's, well, he wasn't the real inventor. Or it was, um, it was, I saw this, just because he invented it doesn't mean he's an expert on it. <laughs> Why are you? Why are you you've having? Got a, you've got a former vice president of Pfizer saying, "Get this Michael vaccine Eden. off the market." Well, he gets his trouble and destroyed and defamed. It, it's it's insanity. When I said I had on Peter McCullough, the most published cardiorenal physician in world history, people said, "What does that have to do with the vaccine?" And I said, "Well, myocarditis." Yeah. And they said he's not an expert on on immunology. And I was like and it it kind of it harks back to like Yuri Bezmenov talking about active measures. At a certain point, 
He was talking about the KGB infiltrating and destabilizing mm-hmm. the U.S. over 70 years. At a certain yeah. point, he's like, there's no amount of evidence you can show to this to a lost person. It doesn't matter what you show them. They will not. I think it's quotes like they will not realize what's going on until the, like, the gate of the gulag is locked behind them. It doesn't matter what you show them. And to me, it's it's been horrifically, yeah, d- instilling disillusionment, where it's just like... People develop beliefs with time. And once you develop a belief, it's very difficult to come back and get rid of that. It just calcifies. It just, it's calcified. This is what it is now, and it's... Unfortunately, yes, you're correct. Everybody, take this vaccine. It's it's not your body. It's not your choice. Forget about the Nazis. I need to see your papers. I know people are taking this and dropping dead. I know that every year we give out 500 million jabs and we get 125 deaths, and now we're at 12,000. I know it's just and nobody sh- does anything. No, I mean, it feels like you're in a weird dream where it's like, does no one else see the buildings on fire? And every you know, and then you wake up, you no. go, oh, it's a fever dream. You're pulling up the data, and you're like, what is, what is going on? I mean, there's, you know, like, the, the, the VAERS graph is just vertical, and you show it, and people are like, well, it's not accurate. I'm like, no, it's not accurate. It's, it's, it's understating it. At a certain point, you just go, I'm going to take care of my family. I'll get a gun, get some food and water, and uh, I don't know, go to the woods. Doctors don't have that advantage. Yeah. You have to do what you feel is right for patients yeah no matter what happens to you god knows what's going to happen to me you know i've been very vocal lately just out of sheer frustration good and um they'll come after me eventually yeah they will but i mean you gotta wear it as a badge of honor you have a duty to perform absolutely to your profession to science and when you deal in public health, I don't have a thousand patients. I have 320 million that I feel responsible for. That's public health. I don't have the luxury of looking after my own life yeah. and reputation or anything else. My dedication is to 320 million people. And the majority of those that are suffering are poor. They live in high density areas, resource poor. That I spent 20 years in Africa looking after these people. They just had nothing. You know, working in the townships in South Africa. It's public health. Now, yeah, bring it on. Yeah. It's, you have it, to do what you have to do. You have to do what you know is right. I've already been censored by PR Newswire. I've been attacked by the House of Representatives, Mr. Clyborne. Um, bring it on. It's... 
I mean, it will always, the truth will always come out in the end, whether it's Joseph Lister, right? Was it Joseph? Yeah, Lister, right? The antiseptic technique or whether it's... Oh, uh, those guys went, went through... They went through the ringer. Hades. Yeah. Jon Snow, our first real epidemiologist in cholera in London, the guy that removed the water pump that was getting water out of the Thames that was contaminated with sewage and single-handedly stopped a cholera epidemic. That's the father of public health. And he caught hell. Nobody would believe it. For years. Until finally a very famous doctor who started out in family practice and who had a very nagging wife single-handedly invented clinical microbiology, Dr. Koch, and he found the pathogen that caused cholera. No good happens to the doctors that are involved with trying to change things and make it right. No good has ever happened. Louis Pasteur eventually, he managed to sit, live to see his, uh, his, he was correct. I have a bust of him in the house here. He and Thomas Jefferson, I have two busts in the piano room. Good. It's, my heroes. But you got to look back to those guys. And did anything good happen to them? No, not in these doctors' lives. But, I mean, in true public health, I mean, you're dealing with $320 million now. If you can yeah. do what you know is right for subsequent generations, I mean, you could be affecting $3.2 billion, $32 billion, $320 billion. It's, it's a much... It's like a fourth. It's like a chronological public health. It's like it has a temporal aspect to where it's, you can do more over time. It's not the number of people involved. It's staying true to what you believe about your profession. Do no harm. And its integrity, and the scientific method. These are all that we have. Yeah. In a world that has apparently gone insane. It's leaderless. President Trump was not a doctor. No. He was a businessman and a builder. Yeah. You trust people. And where this COVID-19 treatment panel came from, I mean, Dr. Renfield was a good choice. Colonel, military, virology, tropical medicine. And you threw him into a snake pit that's the compromised CDC. And he was lost on day one. It wasn't his fault. Dr. Burks, my understanding, that's Fauci's former student, HIV vaccine, which never got developed. That was her background. I'll just leave it right there. The president was given these people. Where was General Barbish? One of the country's really leading experts in this. She had started the whole concept back in the biological war defense time in the late 1990s. Her work and the 50 others on the panel she had helped organize led us to the national pandemic plan under George Bush. W. Bush. 
that was the basis for health and human services to put meat on the bones and actually have small number of people uh, during the Bush administration had helped formulate this plan. And it was all based on previous things. Parts of the plan had actually been tested in the top-off exercises. You can Google those and go back to those. That was for biological warfare defense. But the premise is held true. If every local authority can handle its medical surge capability during a pandemic, then the nation can handle its pandemic surge, can handle the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But the national pandemic plan said the government will do this. We'll work on a drug, we'll work on vaccines, we'll try to sort out the finances. The states will we'll establish a national strategic stockpile of things we think we will need. The states, you're responsible for this, this, and this, and getting stuff out to the local authorities and ensuring the local authorities are prepared. Local authorities, you've got to handle the population in your area with your existing facilities. You have to stockpile things. You have to have a distribution point. And the mayor of New York City didn't have a clue Everyone was left flat-footed. There was no PPE. You have no idea when this thing kicked off in the United States, the problems that were faced. You also have no idea the tremendous help some of our Fortune 500 companies gave, donating millions of items of PPE to New York City and other metropolitan areas. Nobody has any idea of the tremendous things that happened that helped us minimize the deaths that we did have. Because the local authorities had taken federal money to improve their preparedness, spent it on something else, sat around a coffee table, had their little exercise and didn't even write up lessons learned or anything. They didn't take it serious. Just give us the money. That is the failure. It's very frustrating. As more time goes on, and it becomes more and more clear, like Pierre Cor Dr. Pierre Corey going on Joe Rogan, yeah. It becomes more and more clear, not only were these early treatment uh, options not used, but actively suppressed, and then not yes. only are these vaccines ineffective, but highly lethal. At, at a certain Compared point, to other vaccines, to, yes. yes. Yes, yes, compared to other vaccines. I mean, at a certain point, or, I mean, are we in, are we going to be enforcing like the Nuremberg Code? At a certain point, is this does this move from like malpractice to a crime against humanity? If you're actively well, we... suppressing treatment for millions of Americans, for, for even the rest of the world, just the United States, I mean, at a certain point, are you are you doing that? In it's not just you're incompetent; you are competently being malicious. I don't see any other way to look at it. Yeah, it's... I didn't know this could happen. 
I, I, it's not the stuffings out of me watching all this and trying to fight back in a rational manner. I'll tell you what it has done to me. It's made me completely understand how you go, how did that happen? You go back to 1933 Germany. Now I go, oh, it devolves slowly and it's mass think. That's how it happens. Increment, increment until not too far. Let everybody get used to this. And then ratchet it up. And then let everybody get used to it. Get back to the, 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 these are not the droids you're looking for. And suddenly you wake up one morning and you're stuffed. So, yeah, suddenly, all of a sudden, you can... That's a scientific word, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, so, at one point, you you look back and you go... And we look back and we only see the end goal or the end result. We, you know, yeah. you watch the... Follow the railroad tracks. I've never been, but I've watched, you know, drone video footage of, like, the tours. Yeah. Follow the railroad tracks under the Iron Gates, Arbeit, Mark Fright. You go in there and you go, huh. And you see the piles of leather shoes. You see the, the hammers they use to knock the gold teeth out of the still warm bodies after they gas the cyclone. You go, how did it happen? How did it happen? And it's part of your mind, at least for me, you kind of understand it if you're looking either at like the 1500s or you're looking at like warlords or war-torn countries. You go, yeah. But then you look back at like Germany, like a cultured people. You go, how did they turn into the very worst and now you're seeing it. You're pulling out, right? You're divining an enemy, the unvaccinated. Dr. Malone said when he went and spoke in Europe, I think, or did an online meeting, yeah. he said this in the podcast with me. He goes, this woman brought it up. Not me. This woman brought up, and she goes, she's a historian. She goes, if you look back and take newspaper clippings from, like, 33 through 44 in Germany and just yeah. replace, take Jew out and put in unvaccinated, Man, it sounds almost identical to current publications. Blame the unvaccinated, an epidemic of the unvaccinated. The economy is failing due to the unvaccinated. I mean, just write just write Uden on a gold star and let's let's get let's skip the foreplay and just go to what they want. Like that's what it um, feels like. Tommy, this is why you must crush any dissident scientists or medical practice, even though they're they're operating with peer reviewed the scientific method, you have to crush them, make them irrelevant, embarrass them, slander them, whatever. But you have to shut them up. And some of us aren't shutting up. We've had enough. Oh, I've, I've talked about it before on this podcast. I mean, it's maybe a, maybe a week, maybe a couple of years, but one day, I mean, you know, one day there's going to be a mercenary at my front door paid by Pfizer where I'm going to catch a J-Dam through the ceiling. It's That's how this podcast will end, and it will be glorious. But uh, it's because at a certain point you got to go, what is shutting up get me? Well, to leave you alone and you can live. But I don't want to live in the world you're creating. So to me, it's like a win-win. I'm going to stand up for what I believe in and try to hark in a society of, of truth and, and, and justice and fairness, or you're going to kill me and I'm not going to be able to live in your hellscape. To me, it's a win-win. Tom, we all have to shave our faces every morning. We have to look in the mirror. Okay? Unless you're a psychopath. You have to look at yourself every morning. And you have to 
stay true to your values. Yeah. And hopefully you stick true to what is right and what is wrong. This is how we were raised. Uh, when it gets to the point where you don't care what happens to you as long as you can shave your face, well, that's the mark of a man. Yeah. Just do the right thing and... Do the right thing. Is it, is it Ben Franklin? Is it attributed to him? Uh, most men die at 25, but they're not buried till they're 75? Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I call it retired in place. Yeah. Yeah. It's that To me, that is a fate, wor fate worse than death. Yes, sir. To stand up you and... You must stay true to yourself. Right. Yeah. And you yeah. must do what you think is right. Yeah. Regardless of the consequences. Because what's the worst that happens? I find I find out that I'm wrong. I find out that the mRNA vaccine is the best thing that ever happened in humanity. Hey, then right. I then, then I, we'll immediately be on there with the same fever and the same dedication. I was wrong. I will be. I'll be. I'm a moron. Apologies to everybody. I'll have on Malone. I'll have on McCall. I did what I thought was right. We'll put I on was wrong. We'll put on big red noses and clown paint, and we'll let people throw tomato. Ah. Sure, I'll learn. We'll all learn. I don't want to force anyone to do anything they don't want. I don't want anyone to feel like they need to take a vaccine that you might be become disabled from. 28, heart attack? Eh, don't, don't look too into it. Yeah. No, this is, this is how it happens. This is how it starts. Censorship, wrong thing. Don't talk about it. This is how you know, it starts. Yeah. Yeah, we're witnessing that. Yeah. And, but you know, we'll, and we'll, I've, I've kept you for an hour, hour and a half now. We'll wrap no, up on this fine. note is, is I was thinking like last week or like a week or two ago. So like my great uncle was, uh, my grandfather's brother was on D-Day when he was 18, Omaha beach, survived, lived a long life, served in the FBI for like 50 years, yeah. just the epitome of a man. Yeah. My uncle uh, my dad's brother-in-law was drafted into Vietnam, went and served, and really was kind of messed up his whole life from it. Yeah. I have friends who have served in uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq my age, also older guys, Delta Force guys. And you look back at World War II and it's like, okay, Pearl Harbor and like concentration camps. There's like a clear-cut enemy. You know what? We might die, but we're literally saving the world. Like, it's a, it's a comic book evil guy with a mustache burning Jewish people from trains. Like, it's... Yeah. And then I look at something like Vietnam or, or, or Iraq, and that's this is no just not putting anything down on the people that were drafted or weren't served. But I always imagine, like, man, that to me, those are so much more difficult because there's not a clear cut, like, wait, what are we doing? Like... Domino theory, McNamara, the okay, kind of. It's like this weird extrapolation as opposed to there's the Germans blow their head off. I was thinking last week or two weeks ago, whenever it was like, man, thank what a blessing that I'm alive in a time when there's such a, a clear cut and just fight. Do put what you want into your own body. If you want to do that, take the vaccine, you want to take heroin, knock your socks off. But if you see people dying, and if I'm having on the guys who invented this thing going, stop taking it, and everyone's saying, shut it down, Tommy, you're that's hate speech. Man, what a clear-cut fight. And to me, I try to be thankful for that. I'm like, hey, 
sure, I'm going to get punched in the face, like Mike Tyson said, but at least I know where the punches are coming from. Like, hey, what a blessing. We just have to do what's right. There's no, what are we fighting? Some weird, what global war on Iran funding? What are we doing? Who are we going at? It's an economic theory. Should we be in Cambodia? What are we doing with Ho Chi Minh? And it's versus like free speech and autonomy of your body versus censorship and having things shoved into your body you don't want. What a blessing that we have a clear-cut fight. Tom, people need to realize we're at war. Mm -hmm. We're at war with the most powerful forces on the planet. That's the viruses. We can't even see them without high-powered microscopes. But it's a war nevertheless. And the concept of emerging infectious disease it's not going to go away. I only hope we can recover and get our act together before the next one. And there will be another pandemic. Mm-hmm. No one knows when, no one knows where it'll come from. We still are terrified of influenza and some of these strains with a 40, 50% mortality rate. That will collapse our societies. It will collapse our infrastructure of our largest cities. It's a hidden war. It's a long-term war. And it's one that we continue to still ignore. But it's coming. And we have a lot of work to do. And we've squandered millions and millions of dollars. That could have been logically and intelligently put forward into getting our local authorities ready to handle this. I'm sorry, uh, that's the state of affairs right now. The big one is coming. It's based on our population density. Mm -hmm. We crossed a threshold sometimes around 1995, and you can see it in the graphs. Um, I've got one in my book for influenza. And you can see, going back to 1918, and then suddenly, around the mid-90s, this proliferation of new strains. We crossed a threshold. And it's a rule in there in nature that we still don't understand. But, but we crossed a tipping point somewhere, definitely. And this whole thing with influenza has been accompanied by, I mean, go-to viruses in the middle of Kansas. We've never seen this before. You know, there's a new hemorrhagic fever in China. Never seen this before. The, the examples are numerous. It's just too numerous to list. It's disturbing. We let our cities grow. We established multiple lanes for traffic. Increase this, increase that. But we didn't fundamentally change our public health systems to prepare for mass casualties. This, this has to be addressed, or our 120 largest cities remain at risk. I think we need a colony on Mars. A separate human colony. Start it, and then no one knew is allowed to come. This is my planet, and I refuse to move. 
Oh, I'm with you. I'm saying someone else. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with you. We'll, we'll do a... We'll do what NORAD did at the beginning of the coronavirus in January 2020. They had two separate teams in, like, the core of, of, of Cheyenne Mountain, the blue team and the silver team, and they quarantined because they didn't know what the virus was. That's what we need. We need a, we need a Cheyenne Mountain somewhere and be like, if, here, here. So no matter what happens here, it won't happen here. But, you know, it does seem to be a giant earthwide. It's not going to work too well when all your drugs are made in China. Yeah. Majority of your PPE, personal protective equipment, is made in China. And China says, well, we need it. Yeah. So we're not exporting. Yeah. Oh, we're going to temporarily take over a couple of your factory and factories and stuff and make the stuff for us. So we need to get some, some, we need to take this serious. We, um, I think I go into loss of city infrastructure in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, send me an address, I'll send you a copy. Okay. But you need to read it because the threats in there, it, it's irrespective of whatever pathogen. These are things that have to be addressed. And most particularly, are poor disadvantaged areas of our 120 largest cities. Again, they got hit very hard with the coronavirus. Um, It was fortunate the original SARS virus didn't get into these communities. But particular attention has to be paid to these poor disadvantaged areas, public health wise, to the point where it's probably necessary to uh, one of the concepts we discuss is putting everything on a long, long train. And you move everything into these neighborhoods. Highland Park in Detroit. You know, our cities were, were built on the rail lines. Every major city has a rail line going mm-hmm. through the center of it virtually. And to bring an entire surge capability as one package, National Guard, this type of thing, And in the off times, go out to the rural areas and offer free clinics. Doctors doing the job they would do in a pandemic, although it's general medicine. Such a system would be a good answer to these poor disadvantaged areas. And it's critical that these areas be addressed early on in any pandemic, because for various factors, they have large families, they live under high density, they, uh, they have a poor under health understanding, you know, for social distancing and the need for this and that and washing your hands. Bring it in as a whole package, help these areas, and that will help the transmission to the most affluent areas through mass transport and this type of thing. So it's actually these communities that should be coming first, and no one's doing anything for them. All these senators and congressmen from these districts have done nothing with respect to public health for these areas. And that that is a crime because this problem has just been getting worse every year. It needs to be addressed on a national level. With what you just spoke about, um, and for everybody listening, as I said at the beginning, uh, Three Seconds Until Midnight, your book, which we will do an episode on, 
um, we we talked about the uh, the the railroad lines and the sort of the uh, like the single surge package. Do you go into that in your book? Yes. Okay. To an extent. All right. Awesome. Okay. Then you piqued my interest. That sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. We will get into that. Um, I'll send you an email right after this, or we'll set up an episode to do uh, three seconds till midnight. And as I'll send you a book, <laughs> please do. And as we spoke about beforehand, uh, the Donald, he's going to come on here as well. Not for everybody listening, not Trump, unfortunately. It's uh, his buddy who uh, that will be a cool episode. Um, he's an interesting character. Yeah. Tell him, tell him he very, doesn't have a very, choice. Very smart. Tell him he doesn't have a choice. He's coming on here. And, okay. Uh, and, and, uh, Dr. Hatfield, thank you so much for your time, sir. Uh, thank you for speaking candidly. Thank you for coming on my podcast and reinforcing my belief that I need to continue to do what I feel is right and to do it, do it fearlessly. And if I am fearful, then at least do it courageously. Tom, it's a, it's, it's been a distinct pleasure to make your acquaintance. Thank you, sir. It it seriously has. Thank you, sir. It's, I'm, I'm, I've, uh, you are going again, and you you don't have a choice either. You're going to be a recurring guest now because I thoroughly enjoyed today's conversation. That, that's fine. If it, if I'm competent to talk about a particular aspect, I, I'm happy to do so. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And uh, as long as we're getting censored and banned by YouTube and Fauci and the to me, I'm like, hey, we're doing we're doing it right. We're over the target. We're taking flack. Keep going, baby. Apparently you are. <laughs> So I'm cool with it. Nothing easy comes easy. Nothing, nothing worth having comes easy. So, hell, let's uh, let's keep doing it. And uh, who doesn't like doing what you're not supposed to do? That's just human nature. <laughs> do it anyway. So, Doctor Hatfield, God bless you, sir. Thank you. God bless America and everybody listening. Stand up for what's right, even if it's not pandemic misinformation, even if it's just holding the door for someone. Do the right thing. You'll feel better. And you look in the mirror and shave. And you won't hate yourself as much. You might not so a little bit. You might be like, man, I'm fat. But keep shaving and you'll feel good about it. Dr. Hatfield, thank you, sir. I'll email you this episode when it's up. It'll be up in like an hour. And uh, I'll also email you about doing an episode about your book. Thank you so sure, much. Tom. God bless. Recording God bless stopped. America. Stay safe, everybody. Have a good one.